Good afternoon, Tom. Thank you for being here to answer some of these questions we've gathered. We have questions from different sources, emails, YouTube questions, um, questions from the MBT forum that were submitted for the fireside chat that we haven't gotten to yet. We'll get through as many as we can. The first one comes from Linda. I know Tom has touched on how we look for and interpret information. And what she's speaking of is when we are in a meditative state, how we receive a data stream, how we receive information. Um, you've talked about this a lot. And you have talked about how people tend to only look for information that reinforces the beliefs they already have. It seems in this time of misinformation, it would be very beneficial for Tom to talk about this again. Could you do that? Sure. This falls under the general heading of uh, what I call in my book, belief blindness, okay, belief trap. And I talk about those in my book quite a bit. When you have a belief, when you believe that something's true, then you tend to see, hear, taste, and smell those things that corroborate that belief, that kind of uh, make it easy for you to hold that belief, that substantiate that belief. And when you get information that is contrary to that belief, you tend to throw it away. You excuse it. You make reasons why that's an outlier. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't really count because, and you, you, find ways to, to let go of the information that does not agree with you and to grasp and hold on to the information that already does agree with you. So that's why belief, you know, is a trap. You trap yourself inside your own wall of, of, of interpretation. You're interpret, interpreting the data. Um, you know, one of the, one of the uh, kind of joke uh, explanations of this was, was, is that there was this, this man who lived in New York City who was terrified of elephants. And everywhere he went, he saw signs of elephants. He saw a little puddle on the ground in a park or two puddles next to each other. And he said, ah, elephant footprints. You know, he'd see bushes that were kind of waving over in the distance, and he'd say, ah, there's an elephant hiding behind those bushes. So he found signs of elephants everywhere. Well, that's because he was terrified of being harmed by an elephant. He had this fear of elephants. So he had a belief. And when you have a belief, you start processing the information you have in terms of that belief, things that suit that belief. Well, th there it is, you know, elephant footsteps. They leave puddles because they're such big, heavy animals. It presses the ground and uh, there's a little puddle, been an elephant here. So that's how everybody's mind works. And most people are full of beliefs. We believe all sorts of things. We believe things due to our culture, just because we happen to be in what we call Western culture. We have certain beliefs that come with that. We believe things because we live in a particular country. 
there are beliefs that are national as well, where people in that country tend to believe these things. And you just get that belief because everybody around you believes it. So you just believe it too. And we don't question the things we get that way. So we get beliefs from our, from our culture, from our country, from our, maybe from our state, from our communities, from our religion, from anything we belong to, the people we associate with, from our families. So we come with beliefs, which means we are very uh, prejudiced and very, can I say, uh, biased when we look at that data stream that comes to us that defines our reality. And we sort through all those possibilities and take out all the ones we like, which are the ones that are like us, you know, have the same ideas that we have. And we keep those as obviously being correct. And all the rest we throw away as useless, doesn't make sense, couldn't be true. So yes, that's the way we are. So that's one of the ways that we create our own reality is through our, our interpretation of the data we get. So that man who was afraid of elephants, he created a reality in which elephants were around all the time. Even though he was in a big city, in his world, in his reality, elephants existed. And usually they were smart enough to keep out of sight because he never actually would see one, but he saw traces of them everywhere. So it's, it's that kind of thing. So yes, we see a lot of that today. We see a lot of people who have turned their beliefs into facts. Now we do that automatically because if we believe something, then that becomes a fact for us. That's what belief means. We believe this is true. Well, then this becomes a fact to us. So all of our beliefs, we don't see them as beliefs. So you ask somebody, well, what are your beliefs? They can't list but a, you know, 2% of them. Most of the beliefs they have, they don't see them as beliefs. They see them as facts. That's just the way it is. It is that way. And if somebody comes up and tries to tell them, well, no, it isn't. It's not that way at all. They discount it. That person's crazy. That person just doesn't know. That person's stupid. Um, that person is ignorant and you can't get through that barrier easily. Once you find someone who's committed to that belief, then that belief defines them. It defines their reality. And to go in and tell them, oh, your belief is incorrect, kind of rearranges, tears, tears up their reality. Now there's all sorts of things they might have to question if they let that one go. So they tend to hold on to them because that's safer. That feels better to have your reality torn up and say, well, geez, I must, if I believe that and that's wrong, there's all kinds of things I might have wrong. Let me just resort through my whole life and, and change everything. People don't want to do that. They don't want to admit I'm wrong. That doesn't feel good. That's not a warm fuzzy. That's a cold prickly. They want to say, you're wrong. <laughs> they want to say the other person's wrong. Would you say that it, um, it reinforces how they want things to be, well, how they would like things to be? Sure. That's part of how you come to a belief. 
you come to believe things for many reasons. Some is just because that's what you're told and you just believe them. That's your cultural beliefs and so on. A lot of your national beliefs, a lot of your religious beliefs are just because you're told and you believe them. But other beliefs that you have are beliefs because that's the way you want it to be. And it's that's because the way you need it to be, because if it were any other way, it would point a finger, maybe, let's say, of blame on you. Let's say if you say the reason I'm angry is because George makes me angry. Well, and you believe that. And you would say, well, I'm not an angry person. I don't have anger problems, but George makes me angry. You see, now you're blaming George for your anger. Okay, now that's a belief. And many people believe that other people make them angry. But you see, it doesn't work that way. It's your choice to be angry. That's a conscious choice. Now, it's not a necessarily a choice coming out of your intellect. The intellect doesn't think, oh, you know, I, I should be angry now. It just happens. But it's part of you and who you are. It's the way you see the world. That's why you're angry. And that's about you, not about George. So when you take responsibility for that, you realize if you're angry, that's, that's you. It's where you're coming from. It's how you see the world. It's you being defensive about your beliefs. It's you being defensive because of your ego, you see? And it's you is the source of your anger. And then you take responsibility for your life. But if somebody comes up to a person and says, you know, George doesn't make you angry. You need to take responsibility for your own life. Well, that person would just be kind of dismissed as a lunatic, dismissed as they obviously don't understand. If they, if they understood like that person understood, then they'd know, they'd agree that George would make them angry. You see, so when you tell people things that are cold and prickly, or you tell people things that tears up their foundation of their reality, or you try to, you know, point out things that, that uh, don't feel good, most people just resist. They just deny and resist and don't want to go there because it's uncomfortable. So people walk around full of ego, full of beliefs, and that not only colors but defines their reality. And they live in a different reality than other people. It's not like there's this one reality and we all share it. Everybody lives in their own reality. And that reality is made up from your choices. And if you choose to believe something, then your reality changes. You choose to disbelieve something, your reality changes. Disbelief is just like belief. Belief and disbelief, one's a, I guess, a positive thing, the other's a negative thing, you know, the belief or the disbelief, but each one is a belief. I believe this is false. I believe this is true. Neither one is worth much. They're just both beliefs. So it's not a matter of the true and falseness of it. The matter is the belief of it. You see, it's, you, you need to know, you need to gather more information. You need to not, you know, when you believe something, it's a fact. The fact is like a probability of one. It's certainty. This is, I'm certain this is like this. And people should not be certain about much of anything. They should keep all of their 
their ideas and opinions with a little bit of uncertainty around them, a little bit of skepticism around them that says, well, this is the way I think it is, but I don't necessarily know everything about everything, so I could be wrong. So let me always be open for information that's contrary. And when I get information that's contrary, I'll study it, I'll look at it and see if it might be wise to change my mind. So you see, if you keep a little uncertainty around the edges of things, you might be 99.9% .9 sure that this is a fact, but don't be 100% sure, because when you're 100% sure and the probability is one, then you basically deny everything else. You refuse to look at any evidence that's contrary. Whereas if you say, well, this is my opinion, but my opinion could change if I got new information, well, then you will always end up in a better place if you don't have any beliefs, if you're not trapped in with your beliefs, if you're not behind that wall that you create out of your, out of your own choice of how you interpret things. So that's the idea, that's the advice, is that have very few zeros and ones in your probability. You know, things are absolutely never, absolutely always, or it is this way or it isn't. Say, it's my opinion. It's not a fact, it's my opinion. This is the way it is. And most of us only have opinions. We have very few facts, particularly things that are going on in our world. I mean, we don't know. We listen to newscasts, but are those newscasters, are they telling us facts or are they telling us their opinions? We don't know. The only way to know would be to get on an airplane and go to wherever that news is happening and become a part of the story, you know, get involved in it. Then you'd, you might know what the facts were. But as long as you're getting it secondhand and thirdhand and fourthhand, which is what we get when we listen to news and we get stuff out of the internet, very little of that is, is firsthand, then you should not be too sure. And even if you are getting it straight from somebody who's there on the scene, they still may be giving it to you from a biased viewpoint. Because see, when we talk and describe what our reality is like to other people, all of our biases, all of our beliefs, all of the things that, you know, all of our ego is in our descriptions. So we might be at the event describing to other people what we see, and it's all colored by our beliefs. It's all colored by our own personal reality. So even if you're talking to somebody who's there, you may be getting misinformation. And if you go there yourself, you may be getting misinformation, just like the person who looked at the puddles and thought they were elephant tracks. You see, they were creating misinformation in their own mind because of beliefs. So even if they're looking at it, you may come up with misinformation. So you really need to be skeptical. Don't believe it just because you hear it or just because even you see it. Be skeptical. Think about it. Look for alternative viewpoints. Look for alternative ways. And then think about both of those. See what you can find. And you may say, well, okay, this is what I think. This is what I think is the, the way it is. And I'll give that a 80%. And this other way, I'll give that a 20%. Well, as information comes in, that 80 may go to 60. And that 20, you know, may go to 40 or 50. Would you say that... Um critical thinking was important in this uh, area of misinformation? Yeah, critical, critical thinking is important, but 
Critical thinking is something that most people don't do. It's not taught. Children should be taught critical thinking from kindergarten up. You know, most people would have a hard time separating facts from opinions. I mean, that's just something that simple. What's the difference between a fact and an opinion? A fact isn't something you really, really believe. You can't make something a fact because you believe it. You see, facts and opinions are very different. And if we understood that, we'd know that 99% of everything we hear about the world outside of us is an opinion. It's not a fact. And all of those opinions are colored by the beliefs and the mindsets and the, the way that each individual interprets their own reality, because we all live in our own individual reality. Well, it's interesting that you say it should be taught. And there are places, there are nonprofits that are teaching children critical thinking through chess, for instance, the Chess Institute of Canada. And there are places who, where it's not allowed to be taught. And that is uh, something that's probably trying to reinforce beliefs that they want to perpetuate, say. Yeah, well, a culture tends to want to, you know, wants to move its beliefs forwards. You know, cultural beliefs, religious beliefs, national beliefs, all these forms of belief, there, there's investment in those. If you have a whole lot of people that believe it, there's a certain amount of investment in that. And often that investment, you know, has to do with marketing. It has to do with, you know, politics. There's other things that are invested in a body of people having certain attitudes. And a lot of money is spent to try to create those attitudes in people. You know, uh, I, can, I can recall two real good examples of that where, uh, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago, cigarette ads were allowed in magazines and on TV and so on. And they were all using psychological tricks to get people to start smoking. You know, the... The guy who's the big guy who has all the girlfriends, he smokes, you know, and he's attractive. And the other person in the video who's the bumbler that uh, nobody likes, you know, they don't smoke. So all these, you know, Joe Camel, you know, he was, he was a cool big guy and the Marlboro man because, you know, he was, he was tough and cool too. So all these things are things that help people have a positive attitude toward a certain way. You know, it's biasing the way they see reality. That's ads. And then on the counter side of that, after the big uh, lawsuits against tobacco uh, for putting in carcinogens into their cigarettes that were addictive, then we have, what, billions of dollars being spent trying to encourage people to not smoke. And then you had all these ads coming out. They were just the opposite. You know, the person who was the loser and the misfit didn't fit in. They were the one that were smoking. And the people who were the smart kids, you know, they didn't smoke. And so we had another set of ads that were meant to change our opinion. So these opinions that are national, economic, you know, cultural, they come and go and they get manipulated by politicians, by advertisers, by priests, you know, by the law. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that, uh, that make up us and if we're part of a culture we we take on all those ideas 
and they become facts in our mind. And a little critical thinking would be good if people would do that. But the basic concept of belief is antithetical to critical thinking. Belief says this is the way it is. This is the truth. These are facts. And after that, all the critical thinking says is, oh, this is a fact. It's a fact. Once it's a fact, it's, a, it's always going to be a fact. And you never look at it because you know it's a fact. You see, and of course, it might be a fact, and you might be right, but it might not be a fact. So remain skeptical. That's the key thing. Be skeptical of everything and, and have very few things of, that are certain, a certain, you know, a one or a zero, a certain you know, belief or disbelief. Very, very few things. And leave that door open for new information, new ways of looking at things, new perspectives seeing it from a different viewpoint. And if you do that, your life will get a lot easier and a lot less complicated, and you'll understand other people a lot better if you start allowing all those other ideas and opinions, that other diversity of thought, you know, comes into your mind. So you don't just hang out with people who believe the same thing you do, because then with that absence of diversity, then you never get that information that challenges what you think. So I like that very much, diversity of thought. Now that applies to the information here. We need to look at things and consider them and listen and see the direction that it's going in order to discern um, you know, more, more factual information. Now, would you say that um, there are dreams, there is intuitive information? Would you say that... Um, that's colored by beliefs as well. Yes, it is. It's colored by beliefs as well. And we need to be just as skeptical of that as we are of any other information. Information's information. It comes to us in a data stream and we color it. So if we get intuitive information, we color that information. We get data. Okay, data and information are a little different. Data is the thing you use to transmit information. You take information, put it in data, send it to someone. Okay, so it takes a consciousness to create the information. And you can put it into data. The data can get sent someplace. Another consciousness can look at that data and interpret what it means. And when another consciousness interprets what it means, it gets colored with that consciousness's beliefs and understandings and ignorance and knowledge and all those things, all fears, all those things color that information. So that information really is unique to the, to the consciousness looking at it because they interpret it in their own way. And it doesn't matter whether that data came from a data stream straight from the larger consciousness system to you or whether it comes from your daily newspaper or your favorite uh, podcast on the internet, doesn't matter. It's all the same. You get data. You have to interpret that data. And it's the same idea. Yeah, no matter where that data comes from, you have to always be skeptical of it. You always have to think for yourself. You always have to allow in other possibilities and you have to not get into a belief trap. 
So you may, there may be thousands of things in your life and none of them are ones and zeros as far as probability. All of them have some uncertainty with them and you're open to the way those probabilities work. You can change them as new data comes in. So you wanna always be open, always be looking for information contrary to what you think is true because just the opposite happens. Once you think something true, you only look for information that confirms it. You stop looking at information that's contrary to it. You want to confirm it because you want to be right and right feels good and it's one of those good feelings. Yes, I know, I'm smart, I'm right. These are facts, I believe them. You see, that's a positive thing. And instead of saying, well, I don't know, there's a lot of things I don't know. I am not omniscient. I don't know everything there is to know. So it's possible there's some information out there that I just don't know that would change my mind. So I'm gonna be open to that just in case there's some out there, you see? So then you never really believe anything. You have no beliefs, you have opinions, you have maybe attitudes, but you don't really believe anything and you're always open for those attitudes to be changed by getting in new information some new perspective, new way of looking at it. And it's really good when you do that, because let's say you have an opinion and you've been open about it for years and you've looked at all kinds of information that was contrary to it. So you've been looking for that and you've, you've seen 20, 30 things that were contrary to it. And you've looked at each one of them and studied it and decided that, you know, what you thought was really right. And you've looked at all that other information and now you have more confidence, you see, because you have looked elsewhere. You have looked at the other viewpoint. You have looked at the other side. You have been open. Now the probability that your belief is actually right goes up a whole lot. Whereas somebody told you something and now you believe it. Okay, now the probability that that belief is right is very, very shaky. You see what I mean? So when you don't believe anything, the opinions that you do have tend to get better and better and higher and higher quality and more sound as you go through life. In other words, you become a, you become a wiser person, not just a person full of beliefs that can rant and rave and, you know, you know somebody who believes that they know a lot of things when they actually don't know very much. They've just been trapped into thinking that the facts that are in their life are facts and when in fact they're beliefs. So that's the, that's the idea here. And it's, a, it's just a way about, about going by life. You know, this is, this is how you should live your life with no beliefs. Always entertain information that's out there. It's to the contrary. Think about all of it without bias. And after years, you will end up being in a, in a place of understanding of many things. Whereas if you latch onto the beliefs that come to you, because that's what everybody in your neighborhood believes, you'll end up in a place of very, very little understanding, even though you will believe that you have great, powerful, and deep understanding, but that won't be true. It'll just be another belief. So you see, the only way for you to really generate 
solid opinions is by being open and not having any beliefs. Otherwise, your opinions are kind of haphazard. That's very good advice. I, I really like that you will gain a lot of understanding by do this, doing this. That's, that's one of your gems, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll go on to the next question then. This comes from an MBT forum question that we uh, did not have time to get to, but we're going to get to all of them um, eventually. This is in date order, so it's to be fair. Um, this question is from Theo. Tom, the theory of everything that you have explains a lot, but also raises more questions, which generates more answers that leads to more questions at least for me. Seems like a fractal that you talk about. We therefore add data all the time and sort out this information. Same with choices and consequences that lead to more choices. Is this sorting out lowering entropy? If so, is this fractal process infinite towards zero entropy? Do you need a growing number, an infinite number of IUOCs for this? It seems like a trap the LCS finds itself in be by becoming conscious. Do you know the book or movie Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where a computer has to be built to find the ultimate question where the humans no. are the components of this computer? Is, the LC is this the LCS and us? <laughs> okay. Yes, and of course the answer is 42, as I recall. <laughs> But um, no, the LCS has not you know, painted itself into a corner in this way at all. And no, these things that you call infinite are not infinite. Nothing real is infinite. Okay, what, what there is, is there is evolution growing. And yes, by sorting things out as you describe it, in other words, looking at information, just what we just talked about, being open, considering all kinds of viewpoints, studying those kinds of viewpoints, not just sorting them out by, oh, here's the ones I believe are true, and here's the ones that I believe are not true. <clears throat> That's what most people do, but all that is is just taking your beliefs and you know, making reality fit your beliefs. But if you really look at all the information that you can get your hands on and really study it and understand it and then come to your conclusions from that, then yes, you're lowering entropy. You're you know, you're, you're learning, you're, as I said, you're gaining understanding, you become more knowledgeable, you see bigger pictures of things, not just trapped in, in little pictures. So all of that is lowering entropy. And as you see these bigger pictures, you'll realize that the things that really work well, the things that go someplace, the ideas that matter, are things that represent caring, represent other represent you know what you have to give not what you want to take and then all the things that are primarily about you what you want to take you know your needs your wants your desires you know i need i need to have all my stuff fulfilled and satisfied and that's what's most important in life and as long as you stay focused on that you'll find that your life is a soap opera your life is full of teeth gnashing and hand wringing and oh whoa and and it's not very pleasant your life is, is uh, like a maze that you can never, you know, you can never get through. And sometimes you think, ah, oh, there it is. If I just get over this barrier, I will have made it. 
and you eventually get over that barrier and you find it okay it's better for a little while but then things go right back to the way they were you're still stuck because now that you're stuck on something else not that and then you look back at your life and it's this whole this whole process whole sequence of being stuck and getting by it being stuck and getting by it and your life is always a struggle you see that's the that's the thing and you're right now you're stuck someplace and you don't see any way around it you may or may not get by it but you're not really happy life is hard work and not very pleasant well that's because it's about you if you can let go of that ego and make life about what you can give and how you can help rather than what can i get and how can i get it then you won't be in that never-ending struggle then you'll find that life is fun and it's not about overcoming one barrier after another it's about having one you know really nice and wonderful thing happen after another it's a very positive chain of events not the struggle and then you look back at your life and instead of seeing all of these barriers that you clawed your way over in desperation and you know with blood and tears you'll see a life that was full of things that mattered and you have lots of good friends and made have lots of great relationships and you look at your life and say wow i'm really lucky i really had a a really good life and things worked out very well instead of seeing the the struggle that you are still in so that's just the difference of perspectives one way takes you other you know than the other way so yeah that's all part of lowering your entropy coming to those understandings that love is the answer caring you know is important that these things will affect your life in very positive ways rather than well you know you got to look out for number 1 and if i don't take care of number 1 nobody else is so if i'm just interested in helping other people pretty soon i'll be in the gutter you know people be walking over top of me and using me for everything oh here do run this errand for me yeah oh, do this for me scratch my back you know and everybody will want to use you and poor you so this be used up and thrown out the back and nobody will care about you and that's what happens if you don't look out for number 1 you get used and pushed around by everybody else that's just fear that's your fear talking to you i'm not asking you to be stupid you know and do silly things i'm not asking you to quit your job and you know go join a monastery you know you don't need to do any of that you can just keep the life you have do the things you're doing hopefully find a job that you enjoy um and make your life fun and the only way to do that is to make your life more about other than it is about you no you don't have to let people pick on you and don't have to let people push you around and if somebody oh here go run an errand for me you can always say no thank you i'm busy doing other things you see just because you are are positive and caring doesn't mean that you're stupid and or let's just let people you know use you you still have a brain <laughs> you still can figure out things but you use that brain to be positive you don't then fight with that person who says oh why don't you run an errand for me you don't turn around and say what do you mean asking me to run an errand what do you think i'm your slave blah 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 blah, blah. you know and start an argument and fuss and 
That's not being positive. You just say, no, can't do that now. You see, and you stay positive. So it's not, yes, the system does not paint itself into a corner and it doesn't take infinite people, you know, doing infinite things. It's just about evolution. It's about growing. It's about becoming. And you can be about becoming without any idea of ever getting there. See, the becoming doesn't necessarily have an end goal. You know, when are we done? Well, you're never done. This is evolution. Evolution is open-ended. Evolution's never done as long as there's other potential spaces that can be moved into, as long as there are possibilities, other ways of being, you see, then evolution just keeps on chugging. So you don't run out of possibilities in a place that has seven and a half billion people all with free will interacting with each other. You know, the possibilities of that are just enormous. So you're not going to run out of possibilities. It will go on and on and on. And matter of fact, the more you know, the easier it is to know more. The more you understand, the more potentialities you create. You see, every... You know, our technology works like that too. You know, you, you create a new technology like an automobile. And because you have an automobile, now there's all kinds of things that could happen that couldn't happen before. So yes, the guy making buggy whips and buggies is going to go out of business, but there's hundreds of new things that can be done that couldn't be done before. You see, that's the way evolution works. As you evolve, it's not like you're using up a finite number of choices and eventually we'll use them all up. But the choices you make create more choices. The things you learn, the, the, you know, the, the uh, conclusions you come to, the, the things you're able to give other people, these all have effects that go on, affecting and go on. They raise up more possibilities. So all of this positiveness actually is creating more potentiality, more space for us to move into. So the more of it we create, no, we're not running out. We're not gonna run out of it because we're creating it in you know, bundles of it. As we grow up, the amount of choices we have goes up with it. As you grow up and get rid of your fear and ego, the number of choices in your decision space goes up tremendously. And that's the way it works for the whole society. So it's not like, well, there's only N ways that, you know, the social system can work. And once we're done exploring all of those games over, we keep creating new and new possibilities all the time. So we go back 500 years and there were only so many possibilities socially, you know, places for people to move, ways for them to improve themselves. Now there's a lot more possibilities. And we may go backwards in time or back. We may de-evolve a bit to the where there's less again, but then there'll be more. As long as we are in the long run growing and getting positive, then things are getting better. So it just keeps keeping on. You don't have to get to an endpoint. It doesn't take infinite anything. It just is evolution moving, changing, growing, lowering entropy, and no, entropy never gets to zero. Mm -hmm. You can get close to zero, but it never gets to zero. 
because you always have to keep putting in effort or you'll start creating entropy. The minute you stop making an effort to grow up, you'll stop growing up if you make no effort. And then eventually you'll start growing down. You'll start de-evolving if you make no effort. So effort's always required. It takes effort just to stand still, just not to de-evolve takes effort. <laughs> and more effort yet to grow up. So there is no end. All right, Tom. The next question is from the MBT forum, uh, former fireside chat question that we haven't gotten to yet. This one is from Terrence P. On one IUOC, that's an individuated unit of consciousness, incarnating as two free will awareness units. I was wondering if it is possible to get some clarification regarding the possibility of an IUOC incarnating as two free will awareness units simultaneously in PMR. I'm struggling to conceptualize this. My understanding is that the IUOC is my awareness or consciousness and that it is focused heavily in PMR during my lifetime here. My question is, how is my awareness or consciousness possibly incarnated currently somewhere else in PMR? That's physical matter reality. When I have no awareness of it, I apologize if this has been answered somewhere else. You've touched on it a couple of times, Tom. I believe, but I'm unable to gain a firm grasp of the concept and I'm probably misinterpreting something. So if you can mm. clarify that. Okay. Well, let's just look at the mechanics of it. It kind of makes it easier to understand. You have an individual unit of consciousness and normally it just partitions off a piece of itself and without memory, but with quality, the quality it's earned to that point, and that's the free will awareness unit that it partitions off. And then that free will awareness unit is what logs on to an avatar. Now, when you partition something off in, you know, we'll, let's talk computers, you know, and the computer in your, on your desktop can do this as well, and computers have always done this. It's just a, a fact of digital computers. You can take a piece of memory. You can take some processing time, and you can wall that off. That's what we mean by partition off. In other words, it gets a partition put around it so that it works like it's a little independent thing inside this bigger thing. So you can think of it as a little computer inside of a bigger computer, if you like. Well, you can then make another partition and partition off something else. Now, this is what can be done in a modern computer that has multiple cores. You see a core, one core might be working on this problem in its little space. And it has its memory and its core and it has its you know, I mean, that's processing in its core and it has its memory that it works in. And you have another core working over here in this space, doing another problem and another core. You know, most cores these days are at least two, sometimes four quad core. And if you want to pay a little extra money for those gaming machines, you can go all the way up to 16 cores, you know, and higher. Of course, they're more expensive, but they can process things in parallel in each of these cores. So each little core 
we might say, kind of partitions off its own little space it works in. Because you don't want this core overwriting something this other core is doing, right? I mean, you don't want them to be trying to write on the same sheet of paper. They each have their own paper and their own pens and their own and their annuals. You can think of it that way. Another way to think of it is what's called a virtual machine. You can take a, a computer and inside that computer, you can emulate another computer. It's just a subset. You see, and they call that a virtual machine. So it's a virtual computer inside of a larger computer. So this sort of nesting is something that's been done in digital computing since the very beginning. That's why, you know, a hundred people can use a big mainframe all at the same time, because each one of them gets a little piece of, you know, the processor and some memory space and things that it works in its own little space. So they don't interfere with each other. So these are the ideas. Okay. Now let's take those concepts of partitioning, uh, and talk about the free will awareness unit. So you have an IUOC, it partitions off a piece of itself for a free will awareness unit. It can partition off another piece of itself for free will awareness unit number two. It could partition another piece of itself for free will awareness unit number three. As long as that individual unit of consciousness is large enough or has enough capacity and enough capability that it can make subsets of itself that are entirely functional then it could do, theoretically, it could do as many as it could do. So if it were something that was, you know, had a lot of memory and a lot of processing, then it might share that among a lot of subsets, virtual machines, if you will. You see, and this is what we are relative to the larger conscious system. We, the IUOC, is just a virtual machine running inside of the larger consciousness system. We're a subset of that larger consciousness system. So we could say the larger consciousness system partitions off a piece of itself and calls it an IUOC. And that's Tom Campbell. You know, he's that little chunk in there, that, that partitioned off piece of the LCS. And so is everybody else. Their own little uh, emulation going on inside the larger conscious system, because we're all just one thing. We're really all the larger consciousness system, you see. So that's just another way of conceiving the same thing. We're all subsets. Now, our subset called an individual unit of consciousness, it's big enough that it can partition off a piece of itself, just like it was a partitioned off piece of the larger consciousness system. It can partition off a piece of itself to make a free will awareness unit. It's just the nature of digital computing that you can break things, you can partition things into subsets. So the fact that it can do that with, you know, make two rather than one is not surprising. Now the question is, well, why would it want to do that? You know, would it really be in its best interest to partition off, say, 100 subsets of itself and send all 100 out to have incarnations at the same time? Or it could have 100 a hundred little, you know, free will awareness units out there all belonging to the same IUOC. But the problem with that is you're using up a lot of resources, but you're not gaining much because they're all working at the same level. They all went out with the same quality. So they're, you see, it's like taking a hundred children, sending them all to, to first grade. Well, when you're done, 
you have 100 children that have made it from kindergarten all the way up to first grade. Okay, now they've all graduated from first grade. But still, the average level isn't any higher than first grade. You see, it hasn't done you much good as an individual unit of consciousness. You've just made it, through for, made it from kindergarten to first grade 100 times. Well, that makes you really good at going from kindergarten to first grade, but it doesn't help you that much going from first grade to second grade because you got a whole new material there. So the system doesn't run in parallel like that. It doesn't run lots of free will awareness units because it's just not efficient. It isn't efficient to go to, you know, to go through first grade a hundred times. First grade just isn't that hard. You don't have to do it a hundred times to get really good at it. You know, once or twice is enough. So you don't have to do a lot in parallel. What you do is one at a time, mostly, because learning is a serial process. You got to learn about A before you can learn about B, and you got to learn about B before you can learn about C. Learning always grows on what you've learned before. So a serial process makes more sense. That's why typically it's one. Sometimes, though, if it's advantageous to the IUOC's need to learn or to grow up, it can incarnate too. And it will do that only in special situations where that relationship between the two is usually important. So that each one can kind of interact with the other. In other words, you can be on both sides of maybe a touchy situation, a mother and a daughter, a father and a son, you know, and you can be both of those. Now, if you've had, let's say it's a father and a son, and if you have had terrible relationships with your father for a whole bunch of times, and it just has been bothering you and it creates, you know, emotional issues for you, and you think that's making it really hard for me to grow up, I really have a hard time dealing with fathers because they're so demanding. They're so, you know, always telling me what to do and I rebel and there's always this big problem. Well, what you need to do is have a little more experience as a father, you know, so you understand the father's issues. And if that doesn't work out too well, then maybe you need to do both. You need to be the father and the son both at the same time from the same IUOC and now you get to see it, you know, that IUOC gets to deal with itself as the son and deal with itself as the father. So the IUOC might learn from that. So in those kind of special conditions, you'll get to. Well, it's all about learning, isn't it? And your mm -hmm. computer analogy is, is, is good. And those are your metaphors for how reality works and you keep them simple and and put them in a context that's easy to understand. But really it is all about how much the, the system will allow for learning and experiencing and growing. Well, the experience will allow, the experience, the system will allow you to have almost any experience if it'll help you grow up. The whole point of the system is for you growing up. And if you'd say, oh, I really need to have five, you know, I use uh, free will awareness units all at once. I mean, I just need to do this because I have to see this problem from five different viewpoints simultaneously. And if you could make a good enough case that that really would help you grow up, the system would support it. You see, 
But if you're just playing around and whatever, then the system won't support it. But the system generally will support anything that will help you grow up because it's your success is its success because you're just a, you know, you're just a subset of it. So as you succeed, it succeeds. So it will help you. So very seldom are two simultaneous free will learning units required. Mostly one is the most efficient thing, but sometimes two have a lesson there that is hard to learn any other way. Sometimes three, sometimes four, but every time you go in that direction, it gets further and further out in the margins. So we might say that, you know, 99% are always just one or 99.99% are always just one. And so maybe there's a hundredth of a percent that's two. And maybe there's a 10,000th of a percent to three, and maybe one millionth of a percent that's four, you know, and you get further and further out in the margins as far as how often this happens, because those situations that require it don't happen that often. Usually there's a more computer friendly, more economical way of going about solving the problem rather than, you know, spending the resources that way. So, now, the question why, if you have two free will awareness units, doesn't one know about the other? Well, they're in a petition. They're just two separate things. If you want them to share, you could build that in. This is a digital computer. You can build in, you know, whatever you want. You could say, well, I want them, I want free will awareness number one and free will awareness number two to share this kind of data. Well, then they could. You could build a little data path between them just to share that kind of data. So they would be aware of each other's attitudes, maybe the father and the son. The father would be aware of what the son is thinking and feeling, and the son would be aware of what the father's thinking and feeling, and you're going to share that data between them. So you just set that up, and there it is. But if you want them to be entirely independent, you don't share the data. See, that just depends on what you're trying to do and how, you know, what your strategy is for your maximum amount of learning. So you could set it up that some of the data is shared. You could set it up that none of the data is shared. You could set it up that all the data was shared. And the two of them are both totally aware that they are both people. You know, and I'm sure that if you search long enough, you probably find examples of all of the above. You know, almost anything that can happen does happen. It just happens very infrequently. So you can probably find examples of all of those. And it's the same with us. We, as individual units of consciousness, we're virtual machines inside the larger consciousness system. We're subsets. We're partitioned off pieces of the larger consciousness system. And we can share with each other. Okay? We have consciousness-to-consciousness connections. We're all in the net. So we can share, but we can turn it off. We can turn it on. You see, the system can talk to us. We can talk to the system. We're all there and we're shared. Or... Sometimes we don't share at all. We're just all by ourselves out there on our own little lonely island because we believe that that's the way it is. We believe there's nothing else in existence except our little island, and therefore we never make the connection. So we never share with other people because that's the way we are. So you see, almost anything's possible. It's just whether or not it's actually a good solution for learning, then it's likely to happen. It may not happen often, but it's likely to happen as it comes up. So that's all. There's nothing really 
too amazing about it. It's just the nature of digital computing that you can wall off, partition off subsets of it to make little virtual computers, or in this case, virtual you know IUOCs that are really part of something bigger. Now, we tend to think of these things separately because that's just the way we think. From being in this virtual reality, we tend to make everything separate and apart from us. So we see, you know, IUOC here, IUOC over there, IUOC, everything's separate, larger consciousness system someplace else. And we see all these things are separate. You know, free will awareness unit, you know, that's a, okay, that belongs to the IUOC, but it's a separate thing in the game. And we like all the piece parts to be pulled apart because in our virtual reality, no two things can occupy the same space at the same time. All of us need to be separate. But that's not true in consciousness space. You see, consciousness space is this information system. And like any digital information system, it can partition itself in any way that is valuable to its own entropy reduction. So that's basically what's, you know, what's going on there. That's really a really fascinating way that you have stated that. Um, I know we often share information. We gather a lot of evidence in our global healings and some of the little group bubbles that we do uh, for for exercises that way. And the sharing of information is very um, interesting because when you're in a global healing, a, a meditation, uh, often a lot of the same elements and visuals and information come up and you mm -hmm. have you have evidence from that so it is fascinating and i thank you for answering these questions today you're welcome thank you